All right, well, good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Going to start, Lord willing, some Bible character studies about characters of the Bible and things that we can learn, things that we can learn to do and things we can learn not to do. Um, you know, a lot of these are, these things are all written for us, for our example, for our admonition, for our learning. First Corinthians 10 very clearly tells us that. So, Genesis chapter, did I say chapter 2? I'm sorry, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. <clears throat> Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, let us, and we see there the Trinity, plurality speaks of the Trinity of, of the Godhead, let us make man in our image after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God had created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So tonight we'll learn lessons from Adam. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love, your mercies, that you're new every morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word that we can study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We thank you that these things are written for our examples, for our very admonition. And I pray that you help us to learn some things that would encourage us and challenge us and help us in our walk with you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now think about Adam a little bit. Adam was a man who was introduced into a sinless world. We can't, we can't fathom that. We don't have any really way to relate to that. But he was introduced, you know, I believe he was created a mature man. So he was introduced into a sinless world, a world of harmony and peace a world without sorrow, a world without death, a world of abundance, a world of beauty. You know, even under the curse, there, are, there is some beauty about the world. But, you know, we also see the curses, you know, you can see the, the, the fruits of the curses of sin. Um, a world where everything was abundantly furnished. You know, it was described as very good. That's how the Lord describes it. So in this world of Adam, there was also responsibility. And along with responsibility comes accountability. Now some may look at that and cringe, but the reality is man is made for such purposes. Without responsibility, without accountability, there is no dignity or worth of accomplishment. You, know, you take away responsibility and you ruin a man's dignity. That's what welfare does to people. It makes them feel worthless. It makes them feel deprived. It makes them feel uh, unfit, you know, like they're victims. And that's what we're seeing in our world today. Uh, so, you know, the, and the lack of responsibility provides himself, again, destroys the dignity of man. So these are the things that, that Adam's, well, we, we see that Adam was introduced to. Now, I want you to notice several things. First of all, he was made in the image of God. Verse 26 says, And God said, us, said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, it's kind of 
the word image and likeness are very similar here, so there's, it's added for emphasis. So he was made in the image of God. You know, it's, this is, and if we're going to have an understanding of who man is, it begins with knowing we are made in the image of God. Man is different from every other order of created beings because he's, he is, has a created consistency with God. You know, this, this means that he has the capability of fellowship with God. He has the capability of a relationship with God. No other created beings have this, 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 uh, this capability. Uh, you know, there's, in other words, there's an unbridgeable gap between human life and animal life. They're just, they're just different. There's, there's no bridge there. Uh, you know, we may be biologically similar to, to certain animals, but we are distinct in our moral, intellectual, and spiritual capabilities. Animals don't know how that those things. Um, this also means that there's an unabridgeable gap between human life and angelic life. You know, some people say have this idea. Oh, I wish I was an angel. You might, you may be, maybe fallen or you know, no. But you know, they're, they're, we're not angels, and we never will be angels. And if you really understood, if you're a child of God, and you really understand what you have, you wouldn't want to be an angel. You wouldn't want to be an angel. You know, nowhere are we told that angels are made in the image of God. Uh, they can't have the same kind of relationship of love and fellowship with God that we have. In fact, if you look at, keep your place here in Genesis, we'll be back. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, the Bible tells us the angels desire to look into what we have. You know, they're, they're, they're desirous of what we have because they do not have it. <coughs> 1 Peter 1, verse 10 says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, but with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The angels desire to look into what you and I have. And in fact, Hebrews 1.4 tells us they are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. And the heirs of salvation is the children of God. You know, Peter tell or not Peter, but Paul in writing to the churches in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, and verses uh, uh, Romans eight fourteen to 17 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's not something an angel would ever, could ever say. The Spirit itself bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So we are the heirs of Christ. And Hebrews 1.14 says that the angels are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. So they're ministering spirits to us. So... You know, the fact that we're made, that, you know, there's a difference between angels and human life. 
Of course, this also means that the incarnation is possible. That God could become a man because we're made in his likeness. Um, God could become a man. He, you know, because although deity and humanity are not the same, they are compatible. The word was made what? Flesh and dwelt among us, First, or John 1.14. But this, this also shows us, or demonstrates to us very clearly, that human life has intrinsic value. Because human life, again, is made in the image of God. Now, you know, and we all came from the same man. Adam is our father, the first, first man. We all came from him. In fact, we all came from Noah, too, by the way. Um, but those before Noah did not all come from Noah, of course. Uh, but we all came from Noah. So that means we're all created the same. We are all, all men are created equal. But we see there, then, therefore, that you know, God places value on human life. And that's why Mark 8.37 says, Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, the, and again, the death of Christ proves the value God places on the soul of a man or a woman, that Christ would die for us. Of course, humans have personality, knowledge, feelings, and a will. Again, that sets them apart from all animals and plants. You know, not, you know, you know animals do have some of these things, but not all. And plants, sorry, plants don't have feelings. Now, your environmentalists, wacko friends would, would try to make that case. I remember it was in Maine years ago and, and there was a, one of those, I think it was a, toward the end of winter, you know, spring's coming, we had a wet, a wanging, hang, a wanging, a hanging wet snow, you know, and the, and the pine trees were just, their limbs were just hanging down, to, like clear to the ground, the lower branches, and I went to this, this uh, health food herb store and the lady said, oh, the poor trees have to be really hurting. Oh, well, um, yeah, of course, humans possess morality. We are able to make moral judgments. We have a conscience. Uh, we, we, we also possess spirituality. We're made for communion with God. And, and uh, so it is on the level of the spirit. You know, man is made body, soul, and spirit. The soul is really the seat of the emotions. Uh, you know, we talk sometimes the Bible refers to it as the heart. And, of course, the Spirit is what enables us to have fellowship or relationship with God. And we are a body, soul, and a spirit. So, and, and we, we see here that even in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, that God it clearly shows that God, that Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, had communion with the Lord. If you notice in verse 8 of chapter 3, it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, it's obvious that prior to this, they didn't hide when God came. They had fellowship. They had communion. But since they have sinned, that's broken. That, bro- that, that was broken. So, so man was made... In the image of God, or as, we, as it also says there, in his likeness. Second thing we see here about man, about Adam, he was made to have dominion over the earth. Now, again, all these things are characteristic of every man, 
you know, up to this point. And, and uh, well, they really all are. But anyway, he was made to have dominion over the earth. Notice again verse chapter 1 and verse 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, you know, before God ever created man, he decreed man would have dominion over the earth. You know, man's preeminence of the created order and his ability to infect, to affect his environment is not an accident. It's on purpose. It is part of God's plan. And, you know, if you think, and, was, and really, the reality is, now, I'm not an environmentalist, because environmentalism is not interested in looking after or having dominion over the environment. And I'll, and I'll demonstrate that here in a minute. But, but as a Christian, we should be good stewards. You know, the, really, to have dominion means he has to have the rule, he's to dominate, which means he is to manage. He's given that responsibility, to manage the earth. You know, he was put into the, the garden, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And dress it and keep. So he has, an, he has a responsibility here uh, to take care of and watch over the garden. He had dominion over so in, in this sense, it is a sin if man does not use this dominion responsibly. In the sense of proper regard for stewardship of, on this earth. Um, now, don't misunderstand me here. Okay, let me explain. So Adam had a responsibility to take care of, watch over it. There's a stewardship here or a management. That's what a manage, uh, stewardship is. It's a management but we are not to let the environment take its course. We live in a cursed, sin-cursed world. And if you let the environment take its course, it will destroy itself. In fact, we see that happening in California. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, you know, just letting the environment take its course is not good stewardship. Try letting your yard just grow. Or your garden. Just let it grow. I mean, it, it's, you know, the environment's supposed to, this is what environmentalists believe, that you just need to let the environment take over. What would take over your garden if you let it go? Well, not the beans and the tomatoes and the zucchini and the okra and the corn you planted. It'd be full of, as it says here, because of the curse, thorns and thistles after a while. That's what it would be. It would be useless. Again, that is not good stewardship of the earth. And we see examples of poor stewardship in our world today, even in California, at, at, you know, consistently in, in the West. You know, when we were in Maine, and I'll illustrate this here. When we were in Maine, you know, the kids and I were at the ski lodge skiing. One winter Saturday morning, and I was talking with an older man there who used to go to Florida for the winter, but now worked in the ski lodge. And at that time, Florida was plagued with wildfires. There was, there was wildfires raging in Florida, 
And, and so I got to talk to him about that, and I kind of like, why? He said, you know why they're having those, Pastor? He says, because they stopped controlled burning. They stopped controlled burning because of environmentalist pressure. See, the environmentalists didn't want to do any controlled burning. So what happens is all this dead wood piles up in the forest floor, and when they have dry spells, all it takes is a piece of glass, reflect, a reflection of the sun off a piece of glass, and a fire will start. Just like that. Because it's like a powder keg. And, and, and we, this is what's happening in California, among other things. There's some of those wackos setting these fires. But, but uh, you know, in California, you, they used to have control burning all the time. And, and, you know, when President Trump was in office, he, he hinted at a couple times in public about poor management in California of their forests. They even have control burning in, in North Carolina. I remember we were... Uh, uh, we used to do some hunting up up right one toward franklinton and and this was a uh, a guy we sold wood to would take us in there later in the season after the the hunting club had had done the all you know kind of wore their their hunting out and and you know nobody was going in there he he would let us he would go, allow us to go in there with him and so so one day we were in there and I saw in the woods in the along the edge of the wood there was this the dirt was like plowed up, like a plow. They had to take a tractor and a plow and, and going along the edge of the, the road, the dirt road that we went into. And I said, what's going on here? He said, well, they're, they're, they're doing controlled burning. In other words, they're burning the rubbish, that, the dead stuff that's laying on the forest floor so it doesn't build up and then catch fire and burn the whole forest down. So they would, they would put you know, perimeter off an area by plowing around it and then control the fire to get rid of this tinder on the floor. See, that was good management. You know, cutting the trees when they're ready for timber is good management. And another illustration of this. When we were in Maine, of course, the environmentalists want to make all of northern Maine and the Allagash wilderness one huge wildlife refuge without man disturbing it. Well, I was, there used to be a paper, I don't know if it still goes out, called All Main Matters when I was pastoring in Maine that, that I got. All Main Matters. And there's a guy who wrote an article in there about how that if we let that happen, if we do that, here's what that's going to create. He said when Benedict Arnold tried to take, I think it was Benedict Arnold, took some troops during the Revolutionary War across Sugarloaf Mountain toward, um, was the Battle of Saratoga, I think, or, or was it um, uh, uh, Fort Ticaronda? One of those. Anyway, and, and they thought that they would just get food in the forest. But the forest, the, the trees were so big and shaded the forest floor that there was nothing on the floor's floor of any vegetation whatsoever. It was so shaded. There was nothing there for animals to eat. Therefore, there were no animals. 
and they about starved. He said, you see, cutting and, and you know, select cutting and those kind of things create wildlife habitat. And, of course, God made the environment for man, not, not, not the other way around. So, uh, you know, God made the forest and natural resources for man's use, not for vain glorifying of trees and scenery. He made it for his benefit, for him to take care of. Look at Psalm 8. Psalm 8. And, and verses 4 through 8. Psalm chapter 8. And verses 4 through 8 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, hast crowned him with glory and honor. You know, so he, he was made a little lower than the angels, but he's, he's, he's really uh, crowned higher, or has more glory than the angels. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So God gave man dominion. Of course, in the fall, he brought a curse upon the earth because of his fall into sin. But a third thing we see here, he made man with a will that is power of choice. Look at chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, say, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So here, here we see clearly that God has given the man power to choose. Power to choose. Now, as we think about it, we call this free will. Again, this is a likeness of God. God has a, has a power of choice as well. But the free, free will means that God gives man the opportunity to make choices that genuinely affect their destiny or his destiny. You know, the current world's current full, uh, sinful state is directly linked to the choice Adam made. Adam and Eve made. You know, and, and so God created man in his image, and that included the ability to choose. However, free will does not mean that man can do anything he pleases. Let me give you an illustration. You can walk across the bridge, or you can choose not to walk across the bridge. But you cannot choose to fly across the bridge. Because you do not have that capability. Because it's against your nature. You're not created with a nature to fly. Now, a bird could, but you can't. See, you, have a lim- you are limited by your nature with your choices that you make. And in a similar way, a man can ch- may- cannot choose to make himself righteous because he has a sin nature. It's against your nature. You cannot, nature, his nature prevents him from canceling his guilt. You cannot cancel your own guilt. So the free will is limited by our nature. 
And man chose the sin nature. He chose it. Now, this limitation does not lessen the force of our accountability. We're still accountable for our choices. And we only have, you know, we only have the ability to choose. We not only have the ability to choose, but we also have the responsibility to choose wisely. We're given directions, instructions in the Word of God, how we ought to choose. In the Old Testament, God chose a nation, but individuals within that nation still bore an obligation to choose obedience. You know, God didn't choose a nation for salvation. God chose a nation for a service. And this is where Calvinism gets off. They say that all choosing has to do with salvation. But go to, let me illustrate this. Go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John 15 and verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. So, you know, he's referring to them as his, as his friends, and that he is their Lord. So they are his. They're his children. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain. Whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So he chose them to bear fruit. This is service. It doesn't have anything to do with their salvation. Now it happens to be that they were saved men. Israel was chosen for a service. You ever think about the fact that Pharaoh was too? God said to Pharaoh, I will show my power in thee. God did not make Pharaoh reject him. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? That was his choice. And he did. His, his rebellion against God brought glory to God. It, it scared all the other nations around that, that, that Israel was going to go into the land of Canaan. It scared all those nations because of Pharaoh's choice. So, so again, this doesn't... This, 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 you know, we've been given a responsibility to choose wisely. Again, God chose a nation, but individuals within that nation still bore an obligation to choose obedience to God. Some did and some didn't. And their eternal destiny was dependent upon not the nation being chosen, but on their individual choices. Some chose to believe in God and trust in Him and the Redeemer that would come. Some chose not to. Uh, you know, there was even individuals outside Israel that chose to believe in Israel's God and Israel's Redeemer. For example, Ruth, Rahab, and in my opinion, Nebuchadnezzar. If you read Daniel chapter 4, the end of the chapter, he says, I will extol and praise and worship the Most High God, Daniel's God. You know, we come to the New Testament. Sinners are commanded over and over to repent and believe. Every call to repent is a call to a choice. It's a call to a choice. You have to choose. 
You know, John 10:27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's a choice. See, following is a choice. He doesn't, he doesn't take us captive by force and make us go with him. He says, follow me. That's a choice. You know, in John chapter 5, verse 40, you know, here, here's the real problem. Jesus explained it very clearly. And ye will not come to me that ye might have eternal life. That, again, was a choice. They chose not to come to Jesus. And, and so, and we reap what we sow. In other words, we're rewarded the consequences of our choices. If we choose to repent, we will receive life. If we choose not to repent, we will receive death. We do not have the power to choose the consequences of our choices, or the rewards of our, of our choices. So, so, you know, he's, so he's made with a free will, and that, of course, has been passed on to us. You know, so far with Adam, everything is just great. It's very good. But then you'll notice, lastly, the sin of Adam. Chapter 3 and verse 17. And this, you know, as I studied this, this was kind of enlightening to me. Not that it's anything new. It's just I never saw it this way before. Chapter 3 and verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth, thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return underground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Now let me ask you a thought-provoking question. Don't have to answer it. What was Adam's first sin? Verse 17. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. That's his first sin. That word hearken means he obeyed. He obeyed his wife. And if you read the chapter, you know that Eve took the fruit and ate thereof, then gave it to her husband. And he did eat. If you go to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says that Eve was deceived being in the transgression. Adam chose to hearken to his wife. And that is idolatry. Let me explain. This word hearken means to obey. It's used in Judges 2.20. It says, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, because that this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice. In other words, they have not obeyed me. So he obeyed his wife, which means he put his wife before God. He chose to obey her and not obey God. That's idolatry. Yeah, there was a difference of opinion between his wife and God, and he chose to obey Eve. He chose to make her, in this case, his head. 
which this was understood from the very beginning not to be so. If you notice in chapter 2, in verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. Verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. He made woman out of her side, not out of his head, because he is the head. He's to be the head. And the instructions, here's the other thing, the instructions not to eat were given to Adam. Chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2. It says, verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So this command was clearly given to Adam. Now, so he chose to make her. If, and if you go, let's, let's go over to, before I make any further comments, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 gives us some more information concerning this uh, happening. 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 14 says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. So there's the position of headship right there. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So so Adam was first formed uh, as the head of the woman. and, And Eve really is guilty of the first sin against God. But you know what? She's not she is not credited with plunging the human race into sin because Adam was her head. For by one, what's it say? Man. Sin entered into the world and death by sin. 1 Corinthians 15 says, as in Adam, all die. So the sin that plunged the world uh, that brought the curse into the world was Adam's sin because he listened to his wife. Again, the first, the reason for male authority in the church is the order of creation. Adam was first created and given original authority. The first command God gave to the human race, of course, is found in chapter 2. We saw, we saw that. Um, and, you know, this, this command was not given. We don't, we, we don't see any recorded place where this command was given to the woman. At the time it was given, even was not yet even created. So Adam received the command, his authority from God. Eve received her command and authority from Adam. And she was deceived. She was deceived. You know, both Adam and Eve sinned, and Eve clearly sinned first, yet the Bible doesn't blame Eve for the fall. Always blames Adam. Because Adam was responsible because of the difference of authority. 
Adam had an authority Eve did not have. Therefore, he also had a responsibility Eve did not have. Adam failed in his responsibility in a far greater way than Eve did. And we don't know. We don't know, did Adam not explain to her? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. That information is not given. What is given is their choices and the consequences thereof. That's what we know. So, you know, again, Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. So Eve was tricked. But Adam sinned knowing exactly what he was doing when he rebelled. This means that Adam's sin was worse. And Eve's ability to be more readily deceived made her more dangerous in a place of authority because she's easier, easier deceived. Some, one, one, one writer said this, quote, Eve's reasoning, faculty, was at once overcome by the allegation of jealousy felt by God, an allegation plausible to the nature swayed by emotion rather than by reflection, unquote. So she, she was jealous that God had this authority or right to know good and evil. Why can't we know good and evil? You know. So she was was jealous of God's authority and and, and reacted from emotion. And again, you know, women can have an appearance of superior spiritual quality because they seem more loving and caring, but that seeming loving and caring dimension can turn out to be seductively destructive as Eve's did. Now, some of the fruits of this in chapter 3, verse 16, there's there's a curse put upon Adam, but there's a curse upon women and all women as well because of Eve being deceived. Verse 16, now it says, Under the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. The word desire here is, is the same word used in chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, If thou doest well, this is speaking to Cain, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So the idea here is that because of the curse, you know, just as sin, you know, sin would desire to rule over Cain, Eve would have a desire to rule over her husband. What's the mad push in our world today? Has been for the last hundred years. Women's liberation movement. It's a desire for women to rule over their husbands. Uh, She would have a desire. So Eve would have to now fight a desire to master her husband, a desire that works against God's ordained order of the home. This is all the fruit of Adam's choice. One woman said this, quote, As a result of the fall, man no longer rules easily. He must fight for his headship. Sin has corrupted both, both the willing submission of the wife and the loving headship of the husband. The woman's desire is to control her husband, to usurp his divinely appointed headship, and he must master her if he can. 
So the rule of love, founded in paradise, is replaced by struggle, tyranny, and domination. Unquote. Yet all this is the fruits of not heeding or hearkening unto the voice of God. And, it, and the fruit of this is there's struggle, there's contention in our world, and any time you and I as individuals oppose God, this is what we bring into our lives. We really oppose ourselves. Look at uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy 2 and verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. See, he was snared by the, the wiles of the devil. And so that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Adam wasn't deceived. He did it knowingly. He did it knowingly. But Eve was deceived. And so, you know, these, this, is the, this is the fruit of their choices, their choices. So we can learn from Adam the need to obey God. Generally speaking, all of us, to seek you first. And of course, if you're going to apply it simply to this scripture of the home, the man to have headship in his home and the wife to submit. But you know, the, you know, as we think about this, these principles, uh, the need to obey God. God is preeminent. He's to have the preeminence in everything. Matthew 10, 30, 32. Whosoever there shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Whosoever shall deny me for men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come, come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. A man's foe shall be of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And again, Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be to my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath. You know, really, idolatry is putting anything or anyone before God. Covetousness is idolatry. You know, I think idolatry is a root sin. Anything. You know, Adam chose, really, to put his wife in preeminence over God. And the consequences have been catastrophic. Eli chose to honor his sons over God. And the consequences of those choices were catastrophic. And so, you know,
sometimes, you know, you hear people grumbling. I've heard, you know, Christians grumbling about, you know, if I'd have been back there in the Garden of Eden, really? It's a struggle. And we have to continue. You know, the Christian life is a struggle. It's a matter of making right choices. It's a matter of putting the Lord, making him preeminent in our lives. And if we fail to do so, it brings suffering, hardships, and consequences into our life. These are the lessons we can learn from Adam. We have great privileges. We have been given responsibilities by God. You know, that ought to, given the responsibilities, isn't like, oh, I have to do this. We shouldn't have that kind of an attitude. It's a privilege to serve God. We're privileged to serve the King of Kings. We should see it as a privilege. It's also a responsibility. But there is going to be an accounting day. Uh, we can, be, we can be rewarded or we will be judged with the consequences of the bad choices we make. You know, Adam suffered for the choices he made. He was also rewarded. You know, he made some later, he made good choices. Um, and and we, have to, we have to continue to struggle against the flesh and subdue the flesh and submit to the commands that God gives us, that we might be rewarded for choices that please and honor him.